his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. The Crisis Next Door. A weekly report on the biggest conflicts around the world. With host Jason Brooks. Thanks for listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks. Massive demonstrations have gripped several countries recently, with streets filled with protesters in Hong Kong, Baghdad, Beirut, Barcelona, and Santiago, Chile. While those first four locations have received a fair amount of global scrutiny, Chile seems to have caught many by surprise. For more on why Chile has been racked with violent protests, we turn to John Bartlett, a journalist based in Santiago, writing for the UK's Guardian newspaper, the BBC, Washington Post, and others, and he's the co-host of Maradas, a podcast focusing on the politics, current events, and culture of Latin America. John, thank you for joining The Crisis Next Door. Thanks very much for having me on. When it comes to South America, at least from a North American perspective, Chile has long seemed one of the most stable countries on the continent, with relative affluence compared to several of its neighbors. But now we're seeing buildings burning, armored personal carriers patrolling city streets. What has sparked these demonstrations? And has this been building for some time or a sudden explosion of dissent? Right. Yeah, I think just to, to break that down, I think that your uh, your assessment of it is a stable country. I think that's that, that is certainly the case. I mean, that is, you know, I think it appears like that because it is stable, uh, at least politically and, and economically as well. I think there's, uh, you know, a lot of work has gone into building a system which is, uh, largely largely kind of unbreakable untouchable and i think that's partly where these uh where these demonstrations are coming from uh i think that uh the kind of relative affluence i think that's a good way of putting it i think that there are there are parts of the country and parts of santiago uh which are incredibly incredibly affluent i think that you you go to certain uh kind of like the financial district for example in, in santiago and and you could be in any in any major city in the world it's the kind of cbd uh equivalent of, of any of any major city um, in terms of what sparked these demonstrations, I think that all of the above, uh, I think, as, uh, as I'm sure we'll get on to later on, there was a, there was a Metro Fare rise, uh, which uh, affected the rush hour price of the Metro uh, here in Santiago. It raised it from 800 to 830 pesos, which is about, it was a 4% rise, and it equates to about $1.15 in, in the US dollar. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of the most expensive, expensive Metro tickets in the region. Uh, and but I think the, the real problem and the, the reason this was such a such an incredible kind of uh, catalyst to ignite this kind of protest is the fact that it just it was simply it's such a massive proportion of people's people's income and pe- people's disposable kind of uh, you know, people's liquidity in the country. I mean, people don't have enough money to spend so much uh, so much on transport, for example. And I think that what really kind of got people going, I mean, this was on the 6th of October and things didn't really kick off until about the 19th of October, the Friday, Friday just gone. Um, but kind of in that time, the the economy minister came out and said, uh, and I mean, almost kind of derisively really came out and said that people should just get up earlier to avoid this rush hour fare. And that's an incredible kind of, I'm not sure if it's a provocation. I'm, it just, I, more than more than anything, it's just kind of being out of touch with uh, with the people. And like, you know, people travel huge distances across the capital to, to go to work from where they live. Uh, and it's just, I mean, it just isn't, it isn't practical and it's just not helpful really to suggest that kind of thing. 
That really seemed to strike Chile's student population in particular. Why do you think that is? Uh, I think the Chile student body is 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 potent. There's, uh, there was a massive protest in 2011, which was probably the last time that Chile really saw uh, anything kind of you know verging on this scale. Even then, not not as not as significant as this. Um, and that very much involved students. Uh, that was didn't really kind of transcend society as we're seeing at the moment. Uh, if you go out on the street now, people of all ages uh, are there demanding all sorts of different things. I mean, there's a big uh, drive towards uh, addressing the pension system here in Chile, uh, for example, to to involve kind of the retired population here, and, and people are working into um, into a, into into old age basically, and running up massive debts in order to uh, in order to, to to pay basic costs. And it was just I think this is something that's been coming for a long time, and it's it's difficult to break it down into into its constituent parts because I think there are just so many factors that have, that have led to this. Uh, and I think that people have really moved on from this uh, this notion that it was the kind of metro fare that that really sparked it, even though that was the kind of ostensible uh, kind of moment that that really kind of caught the headlines. Are other groups joining the students, older Chileans, perhaps? Yeah, they are. Yeah, as I say, there's uh, there's people kind of protesting for pension reform. Uh, it's a system which is, uh, I mean, from those from those receiving the pensions, it's it's perceived to to have failed in many ways. Uh, that's not always the uh, not always the perception outside the country and among kind of in economic circles. I think that in the same way that Chile is kind of perceived as this kind of great stable economy, I think that um, outside the country, if you look at these kind of uh, very agreeable macroeconomic indicators. I think that think that yeah, if that's if that's how you want to judge a country's progress and uh, uh, and situation, then I think that Chile is, has rightly been has been described as a as a country that's uh, that's doing well. But the, the reality on the street has never matched uh, has never matched the kind of perceptions outside the country. And I think that's really what we're seeing now. That you know, while while people are, are surprised that this is happening, I don't think there's so much surprise here. And it, it really is surprising, I think, but uh, certainly from my point of view, that some politicians were calling the uh, the kind of the outbreak of, of violence in particular, which I, I don't think is defensible. I think that that's kind of uh, reducing this whole this whole movement to something which it shouldn't really be. Um, but people are saying that it's incomprehensible that this is uh, this is turned into something so big. And I don't really think that's the case. I think that this was that perhaps not foreseeable to this kind of uh, this extent, but certainly has been coming for some time. The violence seems to be increasing every day. The death toll seems to be rising, as well as the number of those injured or the number of those arrested. Uh, Is this really shocking the average Chilean that this is taking place in their country right now? Yeah, yes, certainly. Um, I think that Chile has, as I say, a kind of formidable uh, civil society. Protests uh, are common. People aren't afraid to go out into the streets and uh, and make their voices heard. The trouble is, their voices aren't often heard. Um, there are always a small minority. I don't. I don't think in, in every protest, but I've been to a, I've been to cover quite a few here in Santiago in particular, and often they turn violent in some some parts. Uh, the, the repression is always uh, always quite heavy-handed uh, when that does happen. Um, but yeah, so the death toll at the moment has risen to 18. That was announced this morning by by the government. And I think over the last 24 hours, have been 1,571 people have been arrested, um, which is, I mean, these are incredible numbers. I mean, this is this is a nationwide movement. I think the government figures as well said that uh, across 54 marches uh, in in the whole of Chile yesterday, they said that 220,000 people uh, had come out onto the streets. That's been disputed 
uh, I don't think you know. I, I don't think it really really matters. I think it's quite it's quite obvious kind of how many people uh, are out on the streets, and you can see with the images. I mean, it's all over television here, and I, I imagine uh, in other countries as well. But um, but yeah, I think there's, there's probably probably more than that. I think that's a very conservative estimate. But I mean, this really it's really is something that's captured the imagination. The violence is something that the government has really sought to emphasize. They've tried to paint this as a uh, as the kind of the 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 acts of a, a small number of violent agitators uh, in Chile, whereas I think the reality on the streets as well, and I think the, the government must know this, uh, is 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 not is not that. I mean, yes, there are there are parts of Santiago, there are parts of it in you know in cities all across the country, uh, which are experiencing these kind of these epidemics of looting and violence, um, and 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 yeah, I mean that's that's deplorable. That's not something that 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 should really come with this. Uh, come with this movement, but you have to understand that the the kind of the ire and the the rage that's built up over such a long time has, has led has led people to uh, to to go to these lengths. And I think that they see this kind of vandalism, which the the government is really really focusing on, uh, as a way of kind of maybe even getting the state back. I mean, I, I'm not sure if I want to be quite, <laughs> want to be quoted on that particularly, but I think that uh, in some cases uh, people really are just they're just so angry that it's just kind of by any means by which they they can protest. They are they are doing so. You mentioned that the protests have spread beyond the capital. Are, are they just as strong in cities outside of Santiago, or is most of the at least the violent protests taking place in the capital? Mm-hmm. Um, so there have been a number of incidents, violent incidents around uh, around the country. Obviously, I'm in Santiago, so I'm not. I can't can't comment necessarily. Uh, on, on what's going on in other cities, but there have been huge demonstrations in, in the main kind of urban centres across Chile. And the other thing is that Chile is so centralised, uh, kind of politically and economically, and in every way basically, uh, that Santiago is always going to be the focus of these kind of protests. Uh, but that said, the other kind of urban centres of Antofagasta in the north, as, as far as far north as kind of Arica, uh, which is on the Peruvian border in Iquique, uh, and down down to Concepcion, kind of southern central part of the country, and even as far as uh, uh, kind of right down in the south in Magallanes, which is the kind of the, the final region before you get to the Chilean Antarctic region. Uh, there have been protests as well. Um, I, I'm not entirely sure how much violence has been and how it compares to, uh, to, to to Santiago, where I've where I've been. But I think it's it's certainly indicative of, of the feeling that this this isn't a kind of Santiago centric problem. This isn't kind of people seeing what's happening on the TV and joining in. I think people are really, uh, uh, really are angry. And I mean, as far as Easter Island as well, kind of the, right out in the south, in the South Pacific, you've uh, it's a, a Chilean possession. Uh, you've seen people demonstrating as well. So this is this is something that really is uniting people. Um, I mean, that's that's undeniable, I think, at this point. Chilean President Sebastian Piñera has called up the military to help the riot police. Has there been any noticeable difference in how the armed forces handle the protesters compared to the riot police? Um, I think it's hard to differentiate, really. I think that the military really come into into their into their role when the when the curfew starts, and that was last night. It starts at eight p.m. I think it was the same the night before and nine p.m. the night before that. Um, so I think at that point, then the military are really, really taking to the streets. The Carabineros, uh, the police force here in Chile, which is, uh, it was, and perhaps still is in, 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 in some ways, one of the most respected institutions in Chile. Um, in terms of the rule of law on the street, I think that Chileans have often felt far safer than in other countries. Um, I mean, that reputation has now been eroded by kind of successive corruption allegations over the last few years. 
Um, there have been some kind of some some big scandals, and then this kind of this kind of you know dizzying kind of brutal uh, reputation for uh, repressing uh, people in uh, at these demonstrations and just generally in the street. I think people are really starting to question uh, how. Uh, how they how they view the Carabineros? I think they're um, maybe maybe they're they're still feared. Certainly, I think that there's uh, there's there's an, an enough kind of um, you know kind of a monopoly on on uh, the rule of law and violence in, in Chile that people people are willing to kind of do what they say. But that's that is something that you start to see questioned at times like these when there's a kind of mass uh, civil movement. But I think that the the alarming thing really with the with the military was just the the. The, the speed and the ease with which uh, President Pineda reached for them. Uh, he went kind of, it was almost the first thing he did. The first kind of reaction was to, to, to call the army onto the streets. And that was what really shocked a lot of people. Um, I mean, this is obviously a country that, lest we forget, that is only, uh, only kind of 30 years out. Of, well, it's 1973 when the dictatorship started, ended in 1990. Uh, and that was when we saw a lot, of, um, a lot of kind of military vehicles all over the streets in Santiago and throughout Chile. And it, they're kind of they are painful memories for Chileans. I mean, this is you know one of the first times since that we're really seeing uh, uh, we're, we're really seeing the same thing again. You just mentioned the Pinochet dictatorship, almost thirty years since it ended. Is there still a hangover for Chile after that thirty years later? Yeah, definitely. I think that um, there's never really was any kind of uh, reckoning with with dictatorship. Justice has been has been slow and non-existent in many cases. There is still uh, thousands of people unaccounted for who had disappeared by the dictatorship, and um, no real kind of consensus on how to how to go about kind of um, honouring their memory and, and, and sorting out any kind of uh, justice for the perpetrators of those uh, of those crimes. Um, I think that it's uh, it's it's an interesting time, as I say, for for people who are starting to see kind of the the shadows of the dictatorship creep back in, um, but. But yeah, I think it's uh, I think there's certainly a shadow of it. But Chile's still governed by the constitution that was written during the dictatorship. A lot of the uh, a lot of the the model which is uh, which is uh, kind of in place at the moment and, and kind of governs how how Chile works as a country was was all ordained by the by rules and, and laws and the constitution that were. Uh, that were all brought in under the dictatorship. So I think that le- like legis- in terms of legislation, that's probably the, the area where you see the most kind of uh, uh, the kind of the specter of the dictatorship still there. But obviously, I, I think that, you know, the kind of physical signs are starting to reappear as well. And I think that's scaring a lot of Chileans. You're listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks, and we're talking about the massive protests racking Chile with John Bartlett, a journalist based in Santiago, writing for the UK's Guardian newspaper, the BBC, the Washington Post and others. And he's the co-host of Maradas, a podcast focusing on the politics, current events and culture of Latin America. President Piñera said the country is at war with a violent enemy. That seems like an extreme declaration. How is that going over with the protesters and the average Chilean? I think that was, I think that was a clumsy thing to say. I think that would be fair to say. Uh, that again came came very early in these protests. Um, I think that was the second night, his second address. Um, so it's it, it was it, it yeah it came came around very quickly. Um, it is worth saying as well that the by by the next morning, so Pinero said that the night uh, one evening, and then by the next morning, the head of the armed forces, uh, General Iturriaga, had had basically said that uh, he said I think he said he was a an hombre feliz, like a, a kind of a happy man basically, that he, and that he wasn't at war with anybody. 
Um, so I think that there's, there's, there's been kind of widespread condemnation of that. You see a lot of the kind of placards and signs that people are carrying in the streets saying that we're not at war, we're not at war with anybody. Um, you declared war on us, that kind of, that kind of rhetoric. Uh, so I, I don't think that people, I don't think anyone has really subscribed, uh, is really kind of ascribed to that, to that notion. Uh, and I, I, again, kind of President Pinier hasn't hasn't repeated that. So I think that that was probably something that that didn't go down too well, and I think scared a lot of kind of observers as well in international circles, which I think is quite an, quite an important factor for this government as well. It's interesting that Pinera suspended the metro fare hike, but that did not stop the demonstrations. In some ways, very similar to Hong Kong's months-long protests, which were sparked by a controversial extradition bill to China, which was then rescinded, but the protests have continued unabated. Do you think Pinera and his government were surprised the fare suspension did not quell the protests? I don't think they should have been. Uh, I think that that was that was fairly clear that that wasn't the that wasn't the issue, and. Perhaps it was perhaps it was worth them trying as a, as, a, as a first attempt to see if that you know kind of test the waters and see if that would uh, reduce the protest to any extent. But I think what happened was was more or less the opposite. I think that people um, kind of saw that and thought you know you're not understanding our demands. You're not understanding why we're on the streets. This isn't about a metro fare rise. Um, I think obviously in, in practical terms it, it it would have helped. I think that that's you know that's something that people obviously were asking for from the early days of this of this movement. But it was never about a metro fare rise, uh, and I think that while it was inevitable that he was going to uh, have to have to repeal that in, in some way, and I, I think it's also worth saying that I think that what he said was that the law is going to change, that he wants to change the law, and then uh, which will work to uh, work towards kind of taking that uh, that fair rise back. So it wasn't a kind of outright immediate um, scrapping of the of the of that uh, of that metro fair rise, but that that might have changed in the meantime. I haven't really been. Uh, keeping up with that as so the movement's kind of moved on so quickly from from the kind of the metro protests. Does it appear that Pinera will be willing to compromise elsewhere to try and assuage the protesters? Yeah. So last night he uh, he came back onto onto television. He's been giving addresses every evening when the uh, uh, when the uh, curfew has been starting. So he came on TV last night and kind of came up with this uh, this huge kind of. There were a lot of areas that he targeted in terms uh, with reforms. So I think from memory, there was a there was a twenty percent rise in the base pension, uh, the minimum wage, uh, minimum wage, sorry, rose. Uh, so it's, it's about three hundred thousand pesos at the month uh, per, per month at the moment, uh, but that rose to three hundred and fifty thousand as part of a kind of subsidised by the government. Um, which obviously is going to go some way towards tackling the inequalities that people are uh, people are really protesting about. I think the electricity rates as well were put back to the same price at the uh, same price that they were at the uh, the start of the year. Uh, there's a new tax bracket as well, which targeted the kind of top of the pyramid. I think uh, a 40% tax bracket for those earning uh, uh, more than eight eight million pesos a month. I think, uh, and then kind of more. Sort of hazier plans as well towards distributing funds between the richer, richer and poorer neighbourhoods in in Santiago and, and across the country. So I think there were they were targeting the right areas, uh, but there's 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 no doubt that these these won't kind of appease everybody. There's no way that um, that what he suggested is uh, is a perfect solution, but it's a start. And I think that it was it was incredibly necessary that he made some kind of a uh, he made some kind of 
declaration to, to, the, to that extent. Because I think that what he showed more than anything was that he's he's understood or his government are understanding um, whether they whether they weren't understanding in the first place is debatable anyway. But well, they're finally kind of getting the message that people are annoyed about about a whole whole host of things and kind of announcing such a wide range of reforms, I think, perhaps is a, uh, the first step on towards kind of redressing the kind of social contract here in Chile. Inequality certainly seems to be the key issue here in Chile. Uh, how difficult is it for someone born into a lower income neighborhood to move up in Chile's world? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question. I think that um, I don't have the, the statistics exactly. And there have been a huge number of studies done on this uh, kind of social mobility and things in Chile. Um, but what people really what people really talk about here is the kind of the lack of the lack of dignity that people uh, people living in these kind of poorer areas uh, really really have uh, in, in the in the system that, that Chile uh, Chile has at the moment. Um, people are really really angry, and it's not just about kind of this you know kind of access to capital and uh, and 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 being able to can buy kind of consumable goods. I think in Latin America, inequality is quite an interesting phenomenon, and all across all across the world. Uh, in that people who uh, people who who kind of you know are in these kind of lower socioeconomic uh, percentiles or deciles, um, I think tend so. If you go to these these poor areas, you'll often see kind of satellite dishes and things, and people have satellite TV, people have smartphones and things, but that's not kind of what people want. That's not the kind of that's not the be all and end all. And I don't think that kind of saying that you've got these consumable goods is enough for people anymore. It's access to services, access to healthcare. Um, greater kind of parity between neighbourhoods, between uh, between social classes, and, and there's, there's just this kind of this whole kind of uh, notion that's built over such a long time that people who uh, people who have he- like huge resources in Chile and people here really do, some people do, um, just aren't understanding those that don't and aren't understanding the the, the the circumstances that people live in. So I think inequality goes beyond kind of purely economic inequality, uh, and it's a it's a kind of access to to kind of the, the benefits of society as well, which people are really, really upset about. Demographics obviously play a key role in political change. How significant of a portion of the overall population are those in their teens or early 20s in Chile? I think in terms of these processes, there's, there's, there's a lot of them. Uh, I think that the uh, the Metro Fair Rise was started by secondary school, high school students uh, in Santiago, and that kind of spread to university students and uh, and so on and so forth. So I think that, like I like I said at the start, the uh, the way um, the way Chilean society is, the, the young the young people here have always had an, an incredible voice. Uh, they're very well organised. In 2011, there were very kind of identifiable leaders who are now uh, now kind of uh, opposition opposition Congress people uh, who are really starting to make waves in Congress. Albeit there's, there's there's criticism of the opposition here and their reaction to this current crisis at the moment. But I think that there's uh, there's always a kind of uh, incredibly kind of politicised base uh, within universities and within young uh, around young people, which is something that. Uh, I'm not sure about the U.S., but certainly in the U.K., we just we just don't really uh, have. And I think that people uh, I don't know if people in the U.K. understand that about Chile and the people that are kind of following what's going on. But people here are uh, kind of students are very keen to join political uh, kind of youth movements. And uh, people often identify by by the kind of politics that they they choose to follow at university. So 
it's it's certainly interesting that um, that kind of aspect of, of Chilean society. I think that's something that's really important to, towards understanding this uh, this kind of protest as well. That, uh, that that young people are so so politicized here. How do young people in Chile view their future? Are they optimistic or perhaps a bit more pessimistic? I think that it's. Uh, well, I can't speak for all of them, but I've seen a lot of uh, I've seen a lot of kind of uh, signs around with people referring to their the debts they're going to leave university with. Uh, I think that's a huge issue here at the moment, and that's something that really needs to be uh, addressed. I'm not, not entirely sure how you would do that, but um, but it's something that needs to be to be really seriously looked at. That people are often kind of running up debts to cover basic living costs uh, to to study. I mean, studying here is incredibly expensive, uh, which was the kind of the you know that was the basis of the 2011 movement, uh, and it never really kind of you know it never really. Uh, uh, bore the fruit that, that people were perhaps hoping for. So I think that that's something else that's going to going to resurface here as well. Um, but yeah, I think there's I think there's a certain pessimism uh, among young people. I, I think there's optimism at the moment, but I think overall people are still worried about the future. And I think that that's where the uh, I think that that's where the protest movement has come from. And the, the optimism is born from the fact that people think that this could be the moment that, that things do actually change. It will certainly be interesting to see how it develops in Chile as the protests continue. John, thank you very much for joining us here on The Crisis Next Door. No, thank you very much. It's been, been a pleasure. We've been joined by John Bartlett, a journalist based in Santiago, writing for the UK's Guardian newspaper, the BBC, Washington Post and others. And he's the co-host of Maradas, a podcast focusing on the politics, current events and culture of Latin America. Thanks for listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks. Till next time. The Crisis Next Door with host Jason Brooks is produced weekly. If you have any thoughts for Jason, email him at tcndpodcast at kcbsradio.com. Again, that's tcndpodcast at kcbsradio.com. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone.